Welcome everyone to the first episode of the BYOS podcast. I am Parth K. Sharma. I'm 17 and I'm incredibly excited to be your host for this technology podcast. So this podcast here is going to be a series of eight episodes, um, amongst which four are going to be discussion amongst our student team. They're going to be conversation amongst our students. Uh, Yes, this podcast is indeed organized and run entirely by students studying in an international school in Shanghai. It's the first time we're doing this. We're really excited. Um, And the remaining four episodes are going to be um, where... Uh, we're going to be joined by some amazing guests that we have invited from different industries across the world. They're going to join us. They're going to talk to us about their professional careers, technology, innovation, uh, and a lot more. So now let's get started with our episode. Today I am joined by my fellow BYOS team member and my co-host, June Guzman. Hello, um, I'm June and I'm 15 years old. I'm also studying here in Shanghai as an international school student. And um, I'm really excited to be here for the first episode. So in our podcast, we always like to begin with a bit of recent tech news, you know, catching up with what's been happening in the week uh, and discussing some uh, major headlines. So June, why don't you start us off with the recent tech news? Um, Yeah, so first off, Japan breaks internet speed records with a 319 terabit per second speed which is equivalent to downloading 57,000 movies in one second, or every single song or podcast on Spotify in three seconds. This is nearly twice as fast as the previous record, which was um, 178 terabits per second in England. So yeah, almost two times the speed, which is like really insane. Wow. Wow, that's, that's crazy. I mean, you know, my question is like that must not be the speed that Japanese consumers are getting access to, right? Surely not. I mean, that's crazy. This is way beyond even what a fraction like five G cannot even do a fraction of this. So this is way beyond anything that uh, normal consumers are subject to, right? I mean, yeah, of course. Um, this is this is wired. This is broadband, so it's a data transfer between you know, say, for example, two MacBooks and we have a cord between us. It's not like, it's not wireless. It's not Wi-Fi or anything. Oh, okay. So it's not wireless. I thought it actually might be wireless, but right. It's probably done in a control setting, you know, in a lab. Yeah. In a a cooled lab with, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Optimal conditions and everything. Exactly. It's, It's not something that's really accessible or like a marketable product yet, but that's progress. So the next news that we have here is, uh, has been making major headlines I'm pretty sure you've heard of it, actually. Uh, Richard Branson just went to space with Virgin Galactic in the spacecraft uh, Unity, um, and uh, he went with a crew of uh, around 14 people. I'm thinking, I, I actually have not checked exactly. I think that's the number. But even more so, Jeff Bezos has gone to space just a few hours ago at the time of the recording. So, uh, you know, wow, this is crazy with two major CEOs going to outer space. Yeah. Um, of the two of them, though, I, I would... I would make the argument that Jeff Bezos was the was the bigger launch because he actually broke three world records in one launch. So first, him himself, the richest person to ever go to space, and then also an 82-year-old retired pilot, uh, the oldest person to ever go to space, and an 18-year-old student who is the youngest person to ever go to space. So yeah, 
three world records in one flight, which is pretty cool. Wow. Well, another thing, another thing that uh, that's worth mentioning is Elon Musk. You know, the person that's often seen as the major innovator, the the biggest innovator in the space industry for the last few decades. He has not gone to space. He's the only one out of the, out of the trio that has not gone to space. Um, which is uh, which is strange. I mean, I wonder what he's feeling. Yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of the he's kind of the space guy, right? You know, when it comes to the news or headlines, he's the one that you always hear about. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. I wonder how he feels. Right. Yeah. Um, and the last news that we have here is Apple threatens to leave the UK over patent disputes. So yeah, this is this is a really interesting one because it's a it's another lawsuit story with Apple. It's a seven billion dollar lawsuit in the UK, and basically to summarize it, it's basically there's a patent by this company called Optus in the UK um, for connecting to three G and four G networks, and basically Apple's saying I don't want to pay this, and if you make me pay this, then I'm gonna leave. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty crazy. I mean, Apple leaving the UK. I mean, how many? How many iPhone users are there in the UK? There's there's a lot, and I wonder whether Apple leaving the UK is is gonna harm the is gonna harm UK more or Apple more. Well, I was kind of surprised by this. Like the UK, I mean, it has a pretty big population. Wouldn't wouldn't they want the business of all those customers? But wouldn't Apple think twice before they themselves leave the UK because that's a huge revenue loss for them? Yeah, exactly. But seven seven billion dollars. That's a, that's a lot of money. Right. I mean, maybe this is Apple's, you know, they're just kind of flexing their negotiation power, their domination um, with how much they control the market. I don't think they're actually going to leave UK anytime. That would be a pretty big deal. But, you know, that really wraps it up for our recent tech news. So now we're going to move on to our next section in the podcast, which is a section uh, that we call Concept Explained, in which we're going to discuss some of the major concepts in the tech world that often people... Uh, only partially understand or even misunderstand at times. Uh, and these are concepts that are really, really dominating in the tech world, um, but people just don't understand them as well as they should. So let's start today. We're, today's episode, we're going to focus on things that revolve around Apple products. So the iPhone and the story of Beats is what we're going to be talking about today. So let's start with the... The first thing, we're going to talk about the true cost of an iPhone. So, you know, in the world, there's hundreds of millions of iPhone users. And uh, a lot of us have started to pay the price of an iPhone without thinking twice about whether Apple is justified to charge such high prices because we all do know how expensive iPhones are. Some people defend the company, while others say that it's a, it's a ripoff. However, a teardown of the iPhone by Japanese media firm Nikkei has tried to give a definitive answer to this debate. Yeah, so basically, in Nikkei's analysis, the total cost of components in the iPhone 12 Pro amounted to 406 US dollars, which is compared to its retail price of 999 dollars. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a big difference. It's like 40% of the retail price. And for the normal iPhone 12, the component cost was $373, compared to its retail price of $799. So again, around 40% of the cost. Wow, that is, that is pretty crazy. I mean, you know, Apple is charging us more than twice the cost 
of what it actually requires to make an iPhone. So we actually pay more than twice the amount that they're actually needing to to produce the iPhone. So you know there must be a reason for this, and you know many Apple customers might feel ripped off. But there's many factors that go behind why the iPhone is priced this way. Yeah. So there's there's a few big expenses that Apple needs to pay, and one of the main ones is actually their retail stores. So Apple has over 500 stores in 25 countries all around the world, and yeah, Apple- and and you know just want to add on that Apple stores are usually located in city centers. And you know the 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 very busy downtown areas in in cities, increasing the cost significantly, and actually all the costs of the cost of all the Apple retail stores comes together to value more than two point three billion U.S. dollars. And I also want to add that you know Steve Jobs was known for wanting his retail stores absolutely in the middle of the eyes of everybody around. So often Apple has to. Has to ha- has had to buy the most expensive land right in the middle of the city to fund these retail stores. I mean, yeah, if you if you think about the the Apple store here in Shanghai, you know the big one. It's it's right in the city center, right in the midst of all the tall buildings, and rent there cannot be cheap. Exactly. Um. Yeah, and on top of that, think of how often you see an Apple store compared to how often you see a Samsung store. Oh or, yeah. Or a Microsoft store. Like there's there's just so many more Apple stores than any other tech company, and that's one expense that Apple has that the rest of the companies don't need to pay. So. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 contributes to the cost. Right. Yeah. Now Apple also spends a significant amount of money on research and development, and this is not a surprise. You know, everybody knows how much Apple spends on R and D, and historically how much it has spent on R and D. You know, with all their innovation and their their push for technology advancements, <clears throat> and this increases up their budget to eighteen point seven five billion dollars that they spend on R and D. Uh, that was in twenty twenty eighteen point seven five billion dollars. And it also spends one point eight billion USD every year on advertisements. Yeah, I mean, you see Apple ads all the time, you know, on YouTube in the mall, literally everywhere you go. Exactly, you know, marketing has been a central force of Apple since, honestly, since the beginning of the company in the early nineteen eighties with the launch of the Macintosh. You know, marketing,、uh, promo videos, these these trailers were a central part of Apple,、um, and they still are. So that costs a lot to them as well. So yeah, Apple Apple has a lot of additional expenses, but still their profit margins are insanely high compared to any other tech company. So their profit margin on iPhones is thirty seven percent, and while to many people that might not sound like a lot, if we compare that to Samsung, their profit margin is fourteen percent, so less than half of that. And companies like Xiaomi and Huawei, their average profit margin is only eight percent. So Apple's profits are way ahead of any other company. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I think about that, that it does make a lot of sense that Tim Cook recently became a billionaire. I mean, with such high profit margins, that does make a lot of sense. But you know, after factoring in all of his expenses,、uh, you know, with R and D money, the the、uh, retail stores, advertisement, Apple does have to spend a lot more than just four hundred and six dollars for every iPhone. But with the highest profit margin of any tech company, they do also make a lot of money indeed. 
So, like, the same way that, you know, taxpayers fund infrastructure for any country, we fund Apple's infrastructure for factories, for for stores, for advertisement, for, for everything. Yeah, that's, that's, that's actually exactly how it works, I think. You know, we, we, we are the people that kind of fund uh, a lot of the things that happen outside of what we just buy. Like, we buy an iPhone, but at the same time, we're helping them run the company as well with a lot of their other endeavors. So, uh, yeah, that's the, I think that analysis was pretty interesting in terms of learning about why iPhones actually cost as much as they do. Uh, they definitely could be cheaper, as June said, you know, with the highest profit margin, um, Apple iPhones could be cheaper and still be the same quality if those guys were okay with earning a little less money. But it seems Apple, like Apple's a business. Well, I mean, that's true. Yeah. And, uh, well, yeah, that's our analysis for the true cost of an iPhone. Um, hopefully, you found that a little, uh, you know, eye-opening. Insightful. Right. And uh, now we're going to move on to the second uh, point of our discussion in today's episode, um, which is the rise and fall of Beats. You know, let's talk about Beats. It's referred to commonly as Apple's most expensive acquisition. That's what it's commonly referred to as. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me just give you a bit of uh, history before we dive into the discussion. The name Beats used to be, if you remember, uh, if anybody had Beats before, it, it, a few years ago it used to be synonymous with style, fashion. And it took up like 70% of the premium headphones market. Wow. But but nowadays, you know, if you follow the news, they've kind of faded into obscurity. You know, mm-hmm. what happened and why? So Beats was started when um, Dr. Dre, a really famous American rapper, he realized that Apple was selling their iPods for $400, but only accompanied them with $1 earbuds. And he was really upset because, you know, he makes music, and a lot of the music was being lost through the poor quality of Apple's earbuds. So basically what he did was he worked with a partner to create his own, you know, high-quality headphones. Wait, so... You mean that Apple was selling $400 iPods and only included the cheap $1 earbuds, right? So you're saying that, you know, even having the best music device, the things that the people were hearing were still really low quality. Yeah, like he put a lot of work into every every single detail of his music, but, you know, people couldn't hear it. They, they couldn't hear the details. They couldn't hear anything. Got it, got it. Yeah, and that's why I remember the Beats slogan was, uh, early in the days, people aren't hearing all the music. Yeah. On, on every box, it said, with beats, people are going to hear what the artists hear and listen to the music the way they should. Exactly. That that represents his, you know, all his feelings about what Apple was doing and how people couldn't really appreciate all the work he put into his music. Yeah, and gotta say, that's, that's some really good marketing there, you know, portraying himself as some sort of rescuer that's saving the listeners yeah. from the low quality <laughs> that they're being subject to. So, you know, listeners probably thought that this was some sort of, you know, uh, big moment of revelation, you know, like finally the the messiah of music is here to save them yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, it, it's good marketing. And so beats were an instant hit from the very beginning. Um, they sold tons of headphones and their success can be attributed to two main factors. One is the product design and two was the marketing that you just mentioned. Okay. So first off with product design, um, when beats were made, there's sound staging, which is just basically what, you know, what kind of, what frequency of noises are amplified or not. It's specifically designed with the consumer in mind. Okay. 
So basically the main problem with Apple's earbuds that made them so bad was that they had zero bass. They, they lacked bass completely. Okay. So what Beats did, well, it was really smart. So they decided to amplify their bass on their headphones. So basically when you go from Apple's earbuds with zero bass to Beats headphones with a ton of bass, yeah. you see like a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. So like it, it makes the change really drastic. So even though Beats headphones weren't necessarily, you know, better quality, but they sounded a lot better because they had a lot more bass. Yeah, I have to say that's, you know, in, in a way it's a strong mental manipulation there onto consumers that the one thing that's, you know, they basically what Beats capitalized on is that it just made the music more bass heavy and loud and to consumers that was just... A sign of oh the music is better even though it it's not necessarily better but it's just just kind of different more, it's just different yeah. exactly so different doesn't mean better and also it's uh, worth mentioning that Beats also focused on fashion uh, you know at the time premium headphones were seen as as this kind of industrial tool not as an everyday fashionable accessory so you know they were usually large ugly and only came in one color and what Beats did was it offered tons of unique colors sleek designs and kind of converted these headphones into a part of an outfit that could actually look cool similar to how electric cars used to be unfashionable if you remember june like electric cars used Smart to be cars yeah the they used to be ones, yeah yeah they used to be like golf carts you know that's what electric cars used to be called the golf carts but you know tesla came along and kind of you know made uh, electric cars um, good looking sleek and you know they made them uh, a fashionable accessory yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty similar change. Um, so yeah, on, on top of this product design, Beats also had genius marketing. So thanks to Dr. Dre having many celebrity connections, you know, athletes, musicians, actors, they were all given custom Beats to wear. Um, so okay. you had LeBron James, you had Miley Cyrus, you had, you had everyone wearing Beats. Um, and they also did a really good job on the timing. So they were usually given these right before a big tour, a concert, or an event. So that right when they went ah, on stage right. and everyone saw them, they'd be wearing those custom beats. And, I mean, that's the best kind of marketing. Yeah, I mean, um, basic, you know, celebrity endorsement is a very uh, traditional method. It's been, it's being used for years and, you know, decades, centuries even, actually, uh, celebrity endorsements. And that's what Dr. Dre seemed to, he seemed to go back to the basics and implement them well. Mm-hmm. And it definitely did work. And this, yeah, this added to the fashion appeal. And, you know, you see your favorite celebrity wearing beats and you want to get them. Simple. Yeah, yeah. So the product design and the marketing, it it made beats, you know, a very successful company. And soon, like you mentioned earlier, it took up 70% of the premium headphones market share in just a couple of years, which is, you know, it's completely unheard of. And it even started its own music streaming service called Beats Music. But this success wouldn't last for long. Right, yeah. So, you know, fast forward a few years later, in 2014, Apple bought Beats for $3 billion, their most expensive acquisition ever. Wow. And Apple knew that, you know, I think Apple knew that wireless headphones were about to blow up. And so they wanted to cleverly get their only real competition out of the way. You know, it reminds me of, uh, you know, this saying that if you can't beat them, then join them. Prior to the acquisition, 
Apple had not made a single pair of audio products, but after they bought Beats, they got access to thousands of audio engineers, uh, years of R&D, and so much control over how Beats products were released. So, And they used these new resources to then create their own music products like AirPods, AirPods Pro. Ooh, okay, so so before Beats, Apple hadn't made any AirPods or anything, right? This is all Apple yeah. Beats. Exactly. Okay. Also, oh, they used all they used Beats resources basically. Yeah, to make yeah. Their own products. Okay. Yeah, and so you know, with their with their main rival taken care of, Apple kind of easily took control of the headphones market. Have to say, if you see it in the big, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it was a very, very uh, big power move by Apple to kind of buy out their competition and then kind of use their resources. Pretty cunning, but pretty smart as well. I mean. Yeah, it was a smart buy, definitely. Um, and Apple still has released new Beats products, but if you notice carefully, it's only in categories that they weren't in themselves. So, for example, under Apple, Beats released two new pairs of headphones, um, the Solos and the Studios, but these releases stopped once Apple announced their own AirPods Max. And Power Beats Pro is a pair of exercise headphones that were also created under Apple, but they only created them because, you know, they're in their own product category. Oh. Apple doesn't have their own exercise headphones, so it's not a competition to Apple. Ah, uh, okay. And so, I mean, you can bet that if one day Apple creates a pair of workout headphones themselves, Power Beats are gone. <laughs> no oh. new releases for them. Yeah, so it seems like as if Apple is kind of, kind of you know, it, it almost seems like Beats is the guinea pig of Apple. You know, you they they launch these new category of products with Beats, uh, with the Beats brand, and see how it does. And if it's doing well, then they kind of just make the exact same device in a, in a new format in Apple and release it to make it successful. So as if it's like you know, Beats is the perfect uh, testing brand. It's like a company that's there for just kind of experimenting with the market. It's it's yeah, exactly. And and we still can't forget that Beats. I mean, they still make a lot of money, and Apple wants to capitalize off of that. So they're still willing to make new products, you know, for profit. But as soon as it, you know, gets into competition with their own products, you know, those the beats are left behind. Yeah, yeah. So one example of this is the Beats Pill speaker. Um, it was also left to die because Apple released the HomePod. And... You know, you can bet soon enough when Apple expands to, you know, every end of the audio category of the audio product category that Beats will stop releasing new products entirely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's see what happens. I'm kind of curious to see whether Apple keeps on following this pretty uh, aggressive trend. Aggressive. Yeah, aggressive trend um, of buying out their competition. (laughs) And there is one last example of this that we haven't covered yet. Which is a little different, but it covers Beats Music. So even Beats, Beats Music, it was shut down once Apple bought them. And one year later, Apple released Apple Music as a replacement. And it used the exact same recommendation engine as Beats Music. So even the software was, you know, sort of so, cannibalized by Apple. Yeah, yeah. So recommendation engine, you mean like the algorithm of, you know, recommending the music based on what listeners hear yeah, exactly. usually, right? So Got what it. Beats did that was different than companies like Spotify is that they had artists custom pick playlists uh, okay. for their audience. So it felt more personal when, you know, the artist that you love is picking a playlist for you. 
Oh, got it. So and yeah, Apple used that, you know, in Apple Music. Yeah, another example of you know Apple being really smart about how they can you know not be um, taken down by the competition, but in fact use their competition to become even more dominant. Um, but yeah, this is actually really interesting stuff of how 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 Apple took Beats under them and kind of used it to become the most dominant uh, headphones music industry. But I'm pretty sure it's not as if Beats wasn't, uh, you know, expecting this. I'm pretty sure Beats did expect this to happen and Dr. Dre and Apple worked some deal out in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure this is how it was supposed to roll out. And, you know, even if it was good or bad for Apple or or Beats or Dr. Dre, in the end, the consumers have really benefited from better music either way. So it's a win for us. Yeah, and in the end, Dr. Dre did fulfill its mission of, you know, having listeners hear their music in the best way, and now they're doing that, even if it's through Apple. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, in conclusion, Beats ultimately is falling because Apple knew that they could be a threat in an industry where they were about to enter. Apple used its deep pockets to buy out its competition, but even though Beats is a slowly dying brand, in the end, through Apple and its products, it has still succeeded in its mission of allowing listeners to, you know, hear their music in the best way, and in the end, the consumers have won, which is which is the best, mm-hmm. best outcome. All right, now let's move on to the last section of our uh, episode, uh, which we call the MythBusters section, in which we're going to basically pick out some of the most uh, commonly um, uh, mis misunderstood. And uh, false concepts that people believe in but are not actually true. You know, some of the biggest myths in the tech world. And we're going to debunk them. Um, So why don't we start? Yeah, so the first one that we'll cover here is macOS is more secure than Windows. So this is a really common misconception that, I mean, it's kind of true, but it's also kind of not. So, macOS doesn't actually have better security features than Windows. In fact, Windows actually takes many more measures and precautions oh. to ensure the safety of your computer. They actually they, they have more security measures than Macs. Wow. But the reason that. that more Windows are hacked than Macs has to do with the sheer number of them in the world. 81% of computers in the world run Windows, compared to Chrome OS with 11%, and macOS was 7.5%. Wait, macOS has 7.5% only? <laughs> yeah, it's really small. I, but, I didn't know that until now. Wow, but but the, the revenue from macOS, I, I heard Apple, I mean, re- generates more revenue than Windows does, does it or, or not? <laughs> I don't know, do they? <laughs> well, I don't know, it must not. I mean, 7.5% I mean, compared to 81.5% is a huge difference. I mean, if they generated more revenue, their their profit margins would have to be... Insane. Insane. Yeah, yeah. But actually, honestly, I had no idea that... Wait, what is Chrome OS, actually? I've, uh, you know, Chromebooks? Chromebooks, right, I have, I, I've I heard of them. Yeah, I think they're uh, they're mostly popular in, in schools for education and stuff. They're, they're, they're really cheap, so it's... it's yeah. They're more popular than Mac OS? Yeah. Wow, well, definitely didn't know that, but yeah, it makes sense that you know the the fact that Windows computers are so many, just so much higher in quantity. Uh, even though the security is better, they end up being hacked more because you know hackers right. logically hackers would want to create software for machines that are 
um, there's so many more potential targets. Exactly. And like I said, they're, they're more. If you're gonna, if you if you look at this from a hacker's perspective, if you're gonna write malware and you wanna, you know, attack as many people as possible, it's just it's much easier to just go for Windows. And yeah. writing malware for Mac sometimes it's like just a waste of time. There's not many of them. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Well, the second uh, myth that we have here is uh, is something that everybody will will connect to because everybody that has a phone or any device that has Wi-Fi capability. And the myth is that more bars on the Wi-Fi icon uh, is equals to faster connection. So, you know, Wi-Fi and 4G bars, they actually indicate signal strength, not connection speed. Aren't they? Are those two things not the same? Exactly. That They're, they're apparently not the same. It, it basically means that the closer you are to the router the more the strength of the signal is, and so the more bars you will have, but that does not mean that the connection speed is high. Proximity only impacts connection speed a little bit. Um, but for example, if you're close to the Wi-Fi router, but there's many, many people that are using it, you will see a lot of bars, but the speed of the connection will still be slow, possibly. Okay, okay. so for example, if I have four bars and there's 20 people, on the network, uh-huh. it would be slower than if I had two bars and there were like three people on the network. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That I I did not know that. Okay. Let's move on to our next and final myth: incognito mode. So, <laughs> this is used by a lot of people around the world, and a common misconception is that incognito means that you are not tracked. But this is completely false. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, most people think incognito will stop anyone from tracking their activity. But, you know, that's just not true. So incognito mode, it won't save your browsing history. It won't save your cookies. It won't save your accounts or any information that you enter into forms or anything. But it won't hide anything from your ISP, your internet service provider, it won't hide anything from Wi-Fi monitoring at school or work, or it won't hide anything from the websites you visit. Wow. So, so you're still you're still very exposed. Yeah, so does that mean that anyone in our household could technically call our internet service provider and get a log yeah. of the network traffic, including what happens in incognito mode? So if you're using incognito mode to, to search up um, pictures of bunnies, and right. your, your, dad, your dad calls your ISP... And he, he, yeah, he can ask for a log and they'll be able to see that. If you want to hide from everything, you have to use a VPN. Ah, got that's, it. That's your, so VPNs are the ultimate protection from, you know, ISPs, from hackers, from your school, or mm. from your work. Uh, okay, so VPNs are kind of the ultimate kind of invisibility cloak. Mm-hmm. Okay, Wow. Well, that was it for today's episode. Thank you, June, for joining me today. No problem. It was a great discussion. Um, yeah, had a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely me too. Um, hope you enjoyed the episode and uh, see you shortly. Bye-bye. Bye.